Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. You got to get it done. British young Cinderella is coming out of nowhere. He's got about 350 yards up. He's going to get about 500 yards up. Don't you think? He's got a beautiful catch. Oh, he got all of that one. Hey there, sports fans. Glad to see you could make it. I was a little, little under the weather last week. But I'm back. It's spring, and I'm going to tell you what. I love spring sports. NASCAR starting up. Hockey and NBA are kind of nearing their playoff season. And you've got March Madness in place. Then there's the crack of the bat, and no, we don't have that right now. But hey, the cooler is still full, so come on up. Time to talk some sports. Romo looking, dusted off right side, intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Gentlemen, start your engines! Playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? To infinity and beyond. Hey, welcome, folks. I'm glad you could join me. For those of you who have been here before, welcome back. If you're new to the show, I'm glad you're checking us out. Like I said, I love springtime sports. I love sports in general, actually, but. There's just something about the spring that makes it extra special. So today, we'll do our usual check-in with the PGA, NASCAR, Hockey, NBA, NFL news. I'm going to offer my thoughts on the latest MLB developments in the uh, lockout. And we're going to take a little bit of look of, a little look at March Madness. Hey, you know, if you like what you're hearing, then go check out GatewayCitySports.com. We have content on all things St. Louis and beyond. Not only do we cover the Cardinals and the Blues, but we cover the Battle Hawks, University of Missouri, University of Illinois. We cover national and regional sports as well. With our team of writers and contributors, we also have a good podcast like the Two for Three, Yacker Jacks, the Team of Rivals, XFL, STL Football Talk Show, the the End Zone, and of course, the always popular Derek King Sports Show. So check us out at GatewayCitySports.com or come to our Facebook page, Gateway City Sports, or on Twitter, at Gateway City S-P-R-T. If there's a sport you want to see us cover and we don't do it, let us know about it. 
we will do what we can to take a look and see what we can, who we can get to cover that, find it, find out what we need to know, and get it to you. Hopefully, the way you want to hear it. So check us out today, because I know you'll be glad you did. All right, let's go to the ticker and see what's going on. We'll start with the golf uh, links, if you will. <laughs> kind of stumbled on my own words there. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, anyway, March 6th, the Arnold Palmer Invitational presented by MasterCard was won by Scotty Scheffler by one stroke over Tyrell Hatton, Victor Hovland, and Billy Horschel. Uh, Scheffler went into the final round two strokes back of Horschel and Taylor Gooch and one stroke behind Hovland. Scheffler shot an even, bo an even bogeyless par 72 in the final round, which, due to bad luck by those in front of him, was enough for him to take the lead and hold off a serious challenge by Hatton, who was three shots back and shot a 69, or who, was, who shot a three under 69 in the final round. The 2022 Players' Championship kicks off this week with a very challenging field as the top 47 or 47 of the top 50 golfers will be participating including the last two winners of the event Rory McElroy in 2020 and Justin Thomas or excuse me McElroy in 2020 and Justin Thomas in 2021 hard to figure out why or it's not hard to figure out why actually um we got a $20 million purse in this event, and a $3.6 million to the winner, and the top three places are going to get seven-figure paychecks. So, you know, kind of kind of a big deal, <laughs> as they say. Uh, the play starts at 6.45 a.m. at the TPS Sawgrass in Ponte Verde Beach, Florida. Thomas, or, uh, Thomas and Colin Morikawa, John Ram are all favored by Vegas at plus 1,400. Uh, Mikhail Roy is plus 1,800. Victor Hovland's plus 2,000. Scotty Scheffler and Patrick Cantlay are both at plus 2,500. I'll switch over to NASCAR. Alex Bowman won the Pennzoil 400 at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway Sunday in overtime restart. With three laps to go, a hard crash involving Eric Jones set up the restart. During the caution, Bowman took two tires, as did second-place finisher and Hendrick Motorsports teammate Kyle Larson. Bowman was in the battle for fourth place at the time, and the crash eventually with eventual third place finisher Ross Chastain, as they were chasing Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. Uh, during the shuffle and the restart, uh, Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch ended up back behind the field, uh, behind uh, uh, Larson and Bowman and Chastain, and Bowman used a move on the to get away from everybody and take the flag. Next stop for NASCAR is the Phoenix Motor Raceway and for the Ruoff Mortgage 500. Uh, in other NASCAR news, reports indicate that NASCAR may be eyeing a street race in Chicago in 2023. And NASCAR took Chicago and Speedway off the schedule in 2020. Chicago Sports Commission Executive Kara Bachman described the negotiations as complicated and not yet near completion. Uh, the course would be a 2.2-mile course that would run adjacent to the city's Soldier Field. It was conceptually designed by iRacing as a site for the sim race in the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series last year. Moving on to tennis, Novak Djokovic, gosh, that is hard to say, uh, his unvaccinated status, which, is the, which was a point of contention at the Australian Open and forced his deportation, uh, now will force the world's number two player to withdraw from the upcoming Indian Hills event this weekend 
in California as well as possibly the upcoming Miami Open. Uh, the U.S. requires that non-citizens be vaccinated against COVID-19 or they will be denied entry. Jaforic is currently trying to obtain a CDC approval to attend the Miami Open. Uh, no news when that word will come. Former women's top tenors player, top 20 player, Bavara Lepchenko has been suspended for four years for doping. The International Tennis Federation announced the suspension of the 35-year-old Lepchenko, which will run from August 19th of 2021 to August 18th of 2025. Lepchenko will appeal the decision, and the suspension comes after a positive drug test at the Hungarian Grand Prix. NBA News. On March 7th, Greg Popovich won his 1,335th game as an NBA coach tying the legendary Don Nelson for most professional wins. San Antonio Spurs beat the Lakers 117-110 to to get Popovich the record-tying win. Uh, Popovich's record is 13-35 and 6-93, all with the San Antonio Spurs. Nelson's overall record stands at 13-35 and 1,063. He coached four different teams, the Milwaukee Bucks from 76 to 87, the Golden State Warriors twice, uh, in 1988 to 1995 and then 2006 to 2010 and the New York Knicks from 95 to 96 and the Dallas Mavericks 1997 to 2005. Behind Nelson is Lenny Wilkins at 1332 and 1155. WNBA star Brittany Geyer Greiner uh, was arrested in Russia and is being detained after Federal Customs Service found in her possession of vape cartridges that contained hashish oil. Uh, the U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said the U.S. will provide every possible assistance. There is some concern and speculation over the timing of this given Russia's current armed conflict with the Ukraine. In the NHL, both the Edmonton Oilers and Montreal Canadiens have fired their respective coaches. In Edmonton, the Oilers fired head coach Dave Tippett and assistant coach Jim Playfair. The Oilers hired American Hockey League Bakersfield Condors coach Jane Wood J. Woodcroft as interim coach. Playfair was replaced by Dave Manson, who was Woodcroft's assistant at Bakersfield. Uh, the Canadians released uh, Dominic Ducharme uh, as their coach and replaced him with Martin St. Louis who has been named interim, interim head coach and at this time they are uh, electing to retain all assistants uh, of du, Duchamps, Ducharms. It's a sad day in the NHL. Uh, Hall of Famer Emil the Cat Francis died at the age of 95. Mostly known for his time with the New York Rangers, October 1964 to January 76. He also served as GM for eight of those years. Okay. He led the Rangers to four consecutive Stanley Cup appearances from 71 to 74 and a Stanley Cup final in 1972. Francis also served as the GM for the St. Louis Blues from 76 to 83 and he coached the Blues in 76 to 77 and 81 to 83. After St. Louis, he was the general manager for the Hartford Whalers from 1983 to 1989. Francis started his career as a goaltender for the Chicago Blackhawks and the New York Rangers. Moving on to the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts have traded Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders as part of a swap for future players. This leaves the Colts with backup Sam Ellingler and James Morgan, so look for them to be active in the trade market for a quarterback. Uh, that quarterback could come from Green Bay. And no, not Aaron Rodgers, but former number one draft pick Jordan Love. 
Green Bay announced that they have signed the four-time MVP Rodgers to a four-year deal worth reportedly $200 million. This kind of makes Love not a, uh, how you would put it, uh, high on the radar for staying around. So uh, they could be actively making trades with the Colts for Mr. Love. Uh, the Packers also were not done. In somewhat of a related move, the Packers ensured that Rodgers' top target, Devontae Adams, would be around as they placed the franchise tag on the All-Pro wideout. 29-year-old Adams was seeking a long-term deal. Now, if Adams takes the franchise offer, he will net $20 million or $20.1 million for the 22 season, and will give the Packers some time to negotiate a longer deal. Uh, Seattle Seahawks made a couple moves. They first traded longtime quarterback and former Super Bowl MVP Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. In return, Denver sends two first-round picks, two second-round picks, one fifth-round pick, quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Font, and defensive lineman Shelby Harris. Then the Seahawks released eight-time Pro Bowler, Pro Bowl linebacker Bobby Wagner. So, so could Seattle be in the market for a quarterback? Yeah, we'll see. In the latest draft rankings, safety Kyle Hamilton of Notre Dame is number one with edge rusher Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, number two, edge rusher Adrian Adian, excuse me, Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan, offensive lineman Neil Evan Neal of Alabama, and cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU are your top five in the rankings. The NFL Combines have wrapped up, and some of the top performers who increased their stock. Safety Lewis Klein of Georgia turned in a 4-3-7 40-yard dash, a 36-5 vertical leap, and an 11-foot, 1-inch broad jump. Uh, his bag drills and footworks actually impressed all the scouts, and grading ahead actually grading him ahead of Notre Dame star and number one prospect Kyle Hamilton. Defensive tackle Jordan Davis of Georgia. At 340 pounds, Davis's 32-inch vertical leap tied him for the best in combine history with an athlete of that size. His 10-foot, 3-inch vertical broad jump was the best in combine history for a 340-pound-plus athlete, clearing the old mark by 15 inches. He also turned in a 4.78 40-yard dash. That's kind of impressive for a guy that's 340 pounds. Uh, offensive tackle Aikim Ikawanu of uh, North Carolina State, 6'4 and 310-pound lineman, ran a 4.9340, and he showed impressive fluidity with his line drills. Running back Brees Hall from Iowa State turned in a 4.3940 40-yard dash time. He showed speed that few knew he had possessed. Uh, and showing in a combine put him ahead of Kenny Walker Jr. or Kenny Walker the third, excuse me. Desmond Ryder, quarterback from Cincinnati, looked very impressive in his footwork drills or his arm drills. Uh, they had some questions about his accuracy, but uh, after his combine, um, they think that was more footwork footwork related than arm related. So uh, there were, he graded out a lot better on his arm than he looked in the uh, regular season. Trayvon Walker, edge rusher from Georgia, is a physical specimen. I mean, the guy is 6'5", 272. He has an 84 and a quarter inch wingspan. He ran the 40 in 4.51, had a 6.89 second three cone drill. Uh, his agility has 
that went off the charts and he has now put himself in place to be a possible top 10 pick for the upcoming NFL draft. Christian Watson, wide receiver from North Dakota State, at 6'4", 208 pounds. Watson clicked off a 4'3", 6'40", a 38'5", vertical jump, and a 11, or vertical leap, and an 11.1-inch 11 11 broad jump. Some names that didn't quite fare well, um, and not necessarily because they didn't participate or they performed badly, but other people just outperformed them. Uh, Traylon Burks, wide receiver from Arkansas. He does remain a solid prospect, but with a vertical leap of only 33 inches and a broad jump of just over 10 feet, he didn't stand out in the crowd. Uh, same with Matt Corral, Ole Miss. Now, he didn't participate at all and could suffer from the days that, uh, from the, um, from Malik Willis, Ryder, and Howell, as they all had pretty good showings in the combine. Uh, Kingsley and Agaber, uh, an edge rusher from South Carolina, he had an impressive vertical leak of 36.5 inches, but that's about all he had. And he was definitely slow on the uh, uh, 40, 40 time with a 4.89. Um, that could hurt his positioning. Evan Neal, offensive tackle of Alabama, did not participate, so his stock isn't really hurt. Um, and uh, it didn't... Um, but he didn't improve himself, and he is some of these other guys that were behind him did kind of gain some ground. Let's take a break for a quick minute, and we'll hear about Fifth Street Motors. Hey, Don Glenn here for Fifth Street Motors. We all know buying a vehicle can be stressful, but it doesn't have to be. Fifth Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, will help you find the vehicle you need no matter what brand. Fifth Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. Give Brandon or Don a call today at 573-259-1306 and tell them Gateway City Sports sent you. Hey, we're back. Let's talk a little baseball. I'm going to say these so-called negotiations are a complete farce. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Each side is claiming the other one's dealing in bad faith, and let's be honest about that. Neither side is de dealing in any good faith. Um, they, it's not really even negotiations. I mean, as a matter of fact, they're not negotiating at all. It's just ultimatums and rhetoric. Um, this is just a pissing contest between Manfred and Tony Clark. Now, you can say all you want that it's the players versus the owners, and that's partially true. But in reality, it's Manfred and Clark arguing over who's got the biggest you-know-what. I mean, come on now. Um, they're not even representing, I don't think, the interest of each side, to tell you the truth. Uh, yes, Manfred and the owners did, did impose the lockout, so yeah, bad on them. I, I agree, and I don't think that was a, the wisest move um, that they could have done. I think they should have done some more in the way of trying to work the deal out. I think they should have uh, uh, at least... Given, given some leeway past the December 2nd deadline, uh, there's no reason they couldn't have operated uh, under old rules because nobody was playing any games uh, until such time as they got a deal done. But, you know, that's just neither here nor there, I guess. Um, but by the same token, the players union could have, in that 45 days after December 2nd, the players union could have put an offer out on the table. And they could have said, hey, we're willing to negotiate. Let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. 
No, they didn't. They waited. They waited. They waited. They waited. And now we're where we're at. Um, now the fans are taking sides here. And each side says um, that their version of the events are, are real and true. And I don't think we're getting full transparency. I really don't. I don't think we're getting the full deal on what the owners have offered. I don't think we're getting the full deal on what the players have offered. I don't think we're getting a full deal on what any discussions that there has been. Um, and that's to be expected. I mean, you know, they're not going to reveal everything. Um, but I think one of the big things is still a competitive balance tax, and it's still an issue. You know, and while the union wants it raised, and I can understand that they want salaries to go up, and that's a good, that's you know, what a union is supposed to do for its, its uh, members. But what they're trying to do is, in effect, going to take away money from the small market and mid-market teams. Now, I, I can know you guys are going to sit there and say, Don, what are you, crazy? Those guys are billionaires. Yes, they're billionaires. I get that. But owning a baseball team is not their only thing. The discussion I had with Derek King a while back on this. You look around the league. I mean, the Bidwells are into real estate. You've got Steinbrenner is in the shipping industry. Um, you've got so many other people that have different entities besides owning a baseball team. So don't sit there and tell me they're making hand over fist money off of their baseball team. Some of them are. I'll give you that. Dodgers, Yankees, Padres. They're making money hand over fist. At least the owners are anyway. But that doesn't mean that Baltimore, Pittsburgh is making good money. They're making money, but it's not you know what the big boys are making. Uh, so they effectively can't spend. Now some of that is their own fault. I'll give you that. Some of that's their own fault for being very stupid and how they've spent money in the past. Um, but I think the collective bargaining... Uh, excuse me, the uh, competitive balance tax. Uh, that, that's going to be the sticking point. And I think both sides are just going to have to come find a middle ground and say, okay, look, here's what we've got. Let's go with this and we'll work on it. Maybe down the road, maybe do something different with it. Maybe come up with a different idea for the balance tax down the road. Yes, I understand the owners are trying to use it as kind of a salary cap, but hey, let's face it. You know, right now you've got a pitcher it's going to make $30 million and may not throw a flipping pitch all year in uh, Max Scherzer. As long as it's just a lockout and not a strike, they've got to pay him money. That contract's guaranteed. And you want me to feel sorry for him? I don't think so. Ain't happening. Sorry about that, but I just ain't happening. Now we have reports of larger bases, a pitch, a pitch clock banning the shift. Okay. Why? Banning the shift. Okay. Well, okay. Let's let's start with the bases first. <clears throat> People are saying larger bases are going to make it easier to steal bases, and thereby leading teams to attempt more stolen bases. And this is based on data, and I'm using air quotes for those who can't see me. Well, nobody can see me. I'm not videotaping this. But anyway, <laughs> uh, from the International League after one year of trial. Now, this is not data. It's a one-year trial that meant nothing because what the larger bases and I'm sure they were told try and steal more bases so this is not an accurate data driven test of any kind that that's going to spur 
uh, more stolen bases. I just I, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. I don't see that they're having any kind of you know. And, and here's the thing: why are we making it easier to steal bases? Guys like Whit Merrifield didn't have a problem. Tommy Edmund didn't have a problem. They just didn't. Tommy, in his case, he just didn't steal enough bases. He didn't try it to enough because. Yeah, they say, well, we can get more stolen bases with bigger bases. You can get more stolen bases just trying to steal a base. I mean, come on and use common sense, which is something the Major League Baseball lacks. Um, banning the shift. Okay. This is cause, because we have players that are too lazy to work under hitting, and I'm going to call it the way I see it. That is the way I see it. We have players that are too lazy to work on going the other way with the ball. And people, I've had a discussion with the guy the other day. He goes, oh, but Don, you just don't understand. You just can't hit the other way. No, you're right. You just can't go up there and hit the other way. You've got to work at it. You've got to put effort into it. And, you know, like Kirby Puckett did. Like Tony Oliva did. Like Tony Gwynn did. George Hendrick. You've got to put effort into it. Why not? If they're going to play you over that way, or if the pitchers are going to pitch you a certain direction so you can't pull the ball effectively, why not learn to go the other way with the pitch? Why not learn to make that pitcher work a little harder? Why not learn to hit where they're not playing so that they start playing there and open up the other side for you? You know, what we're trying to do is make it easy for the players to do what they got to do. And... You know, if that's because, but, but I thought these players are supposed to be bigger, stronger, faster than the players from yesteryear. Yet we got guys that are needing help to hit the ball, help to steal bases. Yeah, it, I call it like it is lazy. A pitch clock. What a dumb MF and idea. A pitch clock. You want to shorten the time between pitches? Tell the damn batter to stay in the box. I mean, every pitch he's got to step out of the box. And the worst of this that I've seen, at least on the Cardinals, Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader takes a pitch, whether it's a ball or strike. He takes the bat off his shoulder, steps out of the box, adjusts his gloves, adjusts his batting helmet, stands there, looks at his bat again, steps up, adjusts his pants, and then gets back into the box. He does that between every pitch, every pitch, whether he swings at it or not. If you didn't swing into pitch, why do you have to readjust your gloves? Why do you have to step out of the box? Maybe take a step back, yeah, kind of stretch it a little bit, and then get back into the position. Shouldn't take more than two or three seconds. Not 15, 20 seconds between pitches, between uh, time in, the, in and out of the batter's box. You know, make those guys. Get in there and stay in the batter's box. You won't need a pitch clock. Guarantee that. And then don't get me started on this playoff BS of expanding to a 14-team playoff. You know, are, is this Oprah Winfrey baseball now? You get in the playoffs. You get in the playoffs. You get in the playoffs. Everybody gets in the playoffs. Is that what we want? Manfred and Players Association keep saying the fans want it. No, we don't. I've talked to fans. And most can see expanding the current wild card to a three-game series. I mean, that only makes sense. But adding more teams? There are very few people that actually like this idea that are fans. I mean, that I've heard. 
Now, some of you people out there, you may like the idea of having, having extra teams. I don't. I don't want to see a 500 team, which we have now, sometimes, making the playoffs. I don't want to see more of them. I mean, give me a break. It's supposed to be, your playoffs are supposed to be the teams with the better teams, the teams with the good records, the teams that play hard, the teams that are do, that are winning, not teams that are just slipping by to get into the playoff, limping in at 500. Yeah, we see this in football. We see this in basketball. We see this in hockey. They're just marking time. They're not trying to win a division. They're just trying to make that last wild card spot. So why are we going to make it easier for them to do that? You want the you want teams to compete for a division title, not compete for a wild card spot. And I just think baseball's really just missing the boat, and it does. It it I, I they are. I mean, when I talk to fans, I think the biggest complaint I hear on a daily basis, and this is almost every day I hear this. They want more accessibility to the game. Between high ticket concession and parking prices and limits of availability, that limits an availability for a fan to attend the game. Now you add that it, watching the game, you've got to have specialized streaming services or subscription services. And even then, you can't see half the games because they're blocked. They're blacked out. You look at the NFL. Has games. The majority of them are broadcast are on broadcast TV, which you can get with an HD antenna. That's how I watch them. I don't, I don't have cable. I have an HD antenna. I can watch all the football games I want. Uh, NHL, same thing. Although you, can, I think you pretty much need cable for for NHL, yeah, unless it's the NBC, uh, M- NBA, basic cable. MLB has high-priced blackout restriction internet service. YouTube some limited basic cable because regional networks have gone so exclusive like Bally Sports that they don't like whatever cable service you've got so they're going to go off on their own. How does this help you present your product? If you're trying to reach the young people you have to make it uh, accessible. You can't sit there and say uh, well we, we we want the money and that's all it is is they want money they want more money, more money, more money. That's how why that's how why they do this. That's why they're going after all these internet. I mean, was the next one was uh, Apple now is uh, going to help uh, broadcast uh, games what on the internet and probably going to have to pay a subscription fee for that. Why? That limits your product. Baseball doesn't understand. And, you know, I mean, you take a family of four to a game. Okay, you see your um, field level or first level seating. That's about 50 bucks a ticket, give or take. Now, if there's a theme day for that for, the, for that game, you know, if you want to get the theme, that's another $20. And usually they make it something where the kids want, so you've got to go do it. Now, I'll be conservative and say you have to pay $20 to park. Then let's say you had, you know, two adults, four beers, two kids, four sodas, and then ballpark food. That's probably about $130. 
There's about $50 for the beers, about $25 for the sodas, about $60, $70 for food. So it's somewhere $120, $130. And that's just one day. A family of four, one day at the ballpark is going to spend almost $500. And that's just the basic stuff. That's the tickets, food, parking. Now, let's say you're going to... You, you live far enough away that you have to stay in a hotel. Add another hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty dollars to that. So now you're talking over six hundred dollars for one day. Six hundred dollars to go see one ball game. That's ludicrous. And the owners want to know why they they don't have enough fans in the stands. I mean, come on. If you think $600 for a family of four for an entertainment venue for three, four hours is affordable, I'm going to call you a full-blown wackaloon. Because you are. If you think that's affordable, you're nuts. Now to the players, you say you're doing all this for the fans. No, you're not. You're doing it for yourself. Because the average fan does not care that a, a rookie is making seven hundred or six hundred thousand dollars or seven hundred thousand dollars a year, they don't care. But yet you want to make it a big deal, and I'm sorry, I don't feel sorry for the average player who's making six hundred thousand dollars a year in that one to two year span of first getting the league. Because he's making more money um, than the average household. Two to three times the average household. So, you know, I know they talk about the minor leagues. And yes, the minor league players that are in... A ball and below, and even double uh, A in some respects. Yeah, they're really not making a ton of money. I understand that, but I think what will fix the minor leagues is to get rid of baseball's uh, uh, exemption on antitrust. That was granted to them in 1925, the exemption, the antitrust exemption. The game has changed, and the the the, the organization has changed in baseball um, tenfold, and yet they're still getting an exemption, uh, saying that it's not interstate commerce. The hell, it's not. Um, and. There, what they did with the minor leagues a couple of years ago, knocking it down or taking 40 teams out, just proves this is interstate commerce that they're engaged in. So the antitrust exemption should go bye-bye. And what that will force them to do, then they'll have to take care of the minor leagues. Because then the minor leagues can say, okay, fine. We don't need to be with that team. We don't need to be associated with you. We can do this and start their own league. Start their own way to do things so personally I say get rid of the antitrust exemption make baseball start playing or uh, paying attention I don't know just might work random thought 
Hey, we're going to take one more quick break and before our final segment. Hello, this is Don Glenn from Gateway City Sports. We all know how important it is to stay protected. Sometimes life throws you a curve, and that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and so much more. They offer a customized approach that's unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. Give Sean and his team a call today at 636-764-6294. They'll help you out with an insurance quote right over the phone. Even give them a call if you just want to talk sports. Do they do that too? We all have busy lives, so you can email Sean at seanwiley at allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. All right, let's talk some March Madness. How about it? Okay. <sighs> yeah, I'm done talking baseball. That's, bored. That's starting to depress me when I talk about baseball. So we'll talk about something a little more fun. March Madness. Well, it's here, folks. It's that time of year. Every college basketball fan is now a scoreboard watcher. They're sharpening pencils and they're doing all their scouting reports so they can fill out their brackets in about a, well, three or four days now, I guess. Now, some teams have already secured a spot. Um, Jackson State from the Atlantic Sun. Uh, now, they did not win the Atlantic Sun tournament. Uh, Bellarmine did, but Bellarmine is not eligible for the NCAA playoff. So, um, Jackson State was given the uh, automatic bid. Longwood from the Big South. Delaware from the Colonial, Wright State from the Horizon League, Loyola Chicago from Missouri Valley, Bryant from the Northeast, Murray State from the Ohio Valley, Colgate from the Patriot League, Chattanooga from the Southern League, South Dakota State from the Summit League, Georgia State from the Sunbelt Conference, Gonzaga from the West Coast League, and they've already secured their number one spot with that uh, automatic bid. Um, now, current bracketology has things going this way. The top four seeds in each region would be in the East, Baylor, Kentucky, Villanova, UCLA. In the West, Gonzaga, Duke, Wisconsin, Arkansas. In the South, Arizona, Purdue, Tennessee, Texas Tech. In the Midwest, uh, Auburn, Kansas, Illinois, and Providence. Now, these are just projections by analysts. This is how they think the committee will uh, set things up. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't really see Auburn on the one line when you compare teams. Um, Auburn, I mean, uh, yeah, Auburn is a net 10 with a 2 RPI. They've got 8 quad 1 wins, 4 quad 1 losses. They're 7-0 and on quad 2, and their strength of schedule is 28. Now you put that in comparison with Kansas, and uh, you've got... Kansas sitting at a 7 net with a 1 RPI, 9-5 and five in quad 1 wins, 7-1 and one in quad 2, and a strength of schedule of 2. Yet they're on the 2 line, and Auburn is on the 1 line. Uh, another one is Arizona. Arizona is a 2 net, 3 RPI. Those are great numbers, but only they're 5-3 and three in quad 1. Now they are 9-0 and oh in quad 2 losses. But their strength of schedule is a 73. And then you've got on the three line. On the three, this is on the three line now. You've got 
you've got Duke um, or excuse me on the Dukes on the two line I'm sorry I got that mixed up uh, Purdue on the two line um, and you've got when you when you look at it at the two line and the one line um, it just doesn't look right to me um, Arizona's 23 28 and 3 but with an SOS of 73 yeah like I said they've got a two but how do you put them over Kansas who's got a more quad one wins um, they've got a, a, a better RPI they've got a better strength of schedule I don't know how you I don't know how you put Arizona I mean granted Arizona's got a, a very good record but when you've got a strength of schedule of 78, you're going to have, or 73, you're going to have a very good record. I mean, give it, give it. Now, Villanova wins the Big East. Um, you know, they're currently sitting on the three line. Uh, if they win the Big East, I see them moving up because they're a, 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 a net six with a strength of, or an RPI of six, strength of schedule seven. Uh, now, where they are hurting is in quad one wins. They're seven and six in quad one wins, so it's not a really great quad one record. Um, but then again, you look at a team like um, uh, Tennessee, um, who is at eight net eight RPI with a five strength of schedule, nine and seven in quad one, but four zero in quad two. Um, I think some other teams that can. Then you got the four line of Providence, Arkansas, Texas Tech, UCLA. I don't see really any of those moving up, with the exception of maybe Arkansas, if they could win somehow, win or run really deep in the SEC. Um, but I think there's some other teams that could play into a four seed. If you get some teams like UCLA that drops out early, or Arkansas drops out early uh, in their respective tournaments, you know, you've got uh, St. Mary's. Houston and Houston's interesting because they're a five net with an 11 RPI. Now, what that hurts them badly is they only have one quad one win against four quad one losses. Now they're seven and one in quad two, plus their strength of schedule is only a 39. So they would effectively have to win, and it would take it would take a major move drop by uh, at least one or two. Four, number four or four line teams to for them to really have a shot. Um, Alabama, I think, is one that could move up. Now they only have a net of 27 and an RPI of 16, and their record isn't that great in 19 and 12. They're eight and eight in quad one wins, five and two in quad two. Um, but if they could again make a deep run in the SEC, maybe even win the SEC, which they're capable of doing, they could slide up into that four line. Now when you're talking about playing bracket. The last four in current thinking is SMU, Michigan, uh, Xavier, and Rutgers. Um, that is just a, uh, I think all four of those teams, well, SMU I think may be the only team that's safe, really. Um, but the, I think they're all on shaky ground, Michigan especially, um, because the next team in four, uh, or one of the next four teams that have a shot at getting in is uh, Indiana, and Indiana plays Michigan uh, in the Big Ten tournaments. Uh, I think uh, whoever wins that game uh, gets their bubble burst, and the other one moves on. Um, the Big Ten Rutgers would seem solid. They've got a double bye, uh, but if they lose that first game, 
then VCU does well in their tournament. Look for VCU to take over Rutgers' spot. So I think, like I said, Xavier and SMU, I think probably just need to win one game in their respective tournaments. SMU is pretty safe. Uh, Xavier, I think, is fairly safe. Um, they could get overtaken, but, you know, you know bracketology is not exact science, and you're never going to be sure what the committee's going to do. Um, so you just kind of go with it. <laughs> You're going to have fans that are going to be unhappy. You're going to have teams that are going to feel like they're slighted. Uh, but that's college basketball. Hey, that's it for me today, guys. Um, remember to check out Gateway City Sports. If you like this podcast, tell your friends. Tell them where they can find it. They can find it on Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podcast Index, and Player FM. Also, I am still looking for questions from my fans forum. Email those to tsotb.gcs at gmail.com or on Twitter at tsotbgcs or big D underscore gcs and you guys have a great day I'll see you later thanks again for joining us and you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers here's hoping you have a great sports day